This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer. During the initial stages of the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, two years later, I'm not only healthy, but I've been declared in remission. But I'm still continuing this podcast, during which I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. And now I'm also calling some new people to make some new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Gene Taylor is now in his fifth year as Kansas State's director of athletics. And by all accounts, he's done a really good job as the boss in charge of the entire department at K-State. He inherited a department from John Curry that, while fiscally sound, the books look great, there were still a lot of underlying issues within the department. It was almost a hostile workplace, and coaches didn't feel supported by their AD. We're heading into the fifth year of Gene Taylor, and to say things are radically different because he was hired at K-State might be an understatement. Gene Taylor made his name as athletics director at North Dakota State. And then he went on to be the deputy senior AD at Iowa. And you start to see this Midwest flavor running through his career. And when he was hired at K-State, it was obvious he was a good fit for the Wildcat fan base. And the first big decision he faced following the retirement of Bill Snyder as football coach was who to hire. So when he hired Chris Kleiman, the coach at North Dakota State, with whom he had worked with in Fargo, some people thought it was a curious move. But as we now know, Chris Kleiman also is a great fit for Kansas State. Gene Taylor is one of the nicest guys in the business. And last year when the Big 12 about came apart at the seams, Taylor said, stay the course. This conference is fine. We're going to gather ourselves and be stronger than ever. And he was right. And now let's call Gene Taylor right here in Manhattan, Kansas. What's up? How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? This could be an adventure trying to record a podcast with a storm 
going and two frightened dogs. So this is going to be an adventure. Well, that's always makes it interesting that way. Yeah, I know. I know. Working from home is uh is different. It's different, but you always have a have a dog to mess things up for you. You can always blame the dog too. Exactly. Well, sir, uh, another athletic season is here. I don't know what happened, how the summer went that fast, but it did. Um, do you sense the same optimism from fans that I do? I do. I mean, just, you know, um, whether it was the summer when we were doing our, you know, catbacker tours or just you know, generally talking to folks, um, you know, they just feel – but we're going to be pretty good. Um, and I don't, you know, obviously coming off the LSU, I think that causes, you know, a lot of excitement after the way we beat LSU, but, and then some, some of the new additions and, you know, uh, there just seems to be a lot of energy right now behind our program. Yeah. It, it hasn't been this way in a while and it's kind of fun and it's not just football though. I mean, it just seems no, like most no. sports sports are, are trending and and we haven't seen anything you know on the court from Jerome Tang, but that that hire certainly energized fans too. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm uh, really eager. I'm, I'm trying not to be overly optimistic about this football season, but here we are. Are you seeing um, a reflection in ticket sales right now that is kind of showing recovery from the pandemic season? Yeah, we're tracking, you know, pretty close to 2019. That's kind of what we really, when we're comparing year over year, we're really more focused on 19 because that was the uh, you know, last non-COVID. And even though we had fans in 2021, uh, uh, we still felt 19 was a better gauge. And we're tracking pretty well against 19. We're not ahead by long stretch but we're pretty even right now how concerned were you coming out of COVID? i know a lot of people in the entertainment business whether it's sports or theater or movies were concerned that habits were broken people wouldn't come back in the same numbers that they had been after having a good year of sitting at home and watching games on tv and realizing hey this isn't so bad i'm actually impressed that people have come back in these kind of numbers i'm with you um you know, and we've not only talked about it just internally here, but, you know, with my colleagues, um, just like you said, you get comfortable sitting at home. You don't, you know, you, you walk to commercial and go grab a beer or beverage and, you know, you, know, you miss the interaction with your friends and families and tailgating and all that. But I still think there was some pretty decent COVID hangover even last year. Um you know, we didn't see the sellouts and all that stuff, but uh, I was nervous. I was thinking people were just going to get pretty comfortable with that aspect of sitting at home. And fortunately, they've come back, and they're even come back more so this year. Yeah, there's just so many revenue streams, but at the bottom line, the end of the day, you got to sell those tickets. You can have full suites and you know all those really nice things, but you got to sell the tickets, don't you? Well, that from a revenue, but just from an atmosphere perspective right. too, you know, and energy coming out of the tunnel for them or walking down the, you know, walkway or whatever the case may be for the, for the players. But um, yeah, the energy and the, the atmosphere, I mean, that, you know, that's, you know, I know I had colleagues that, 
in the Big Ten when they had no fans. You know, I think our the year we had you know minimum fans or twenty five percent. I mean, it was dead. But imagine no fans, and so yeah, that, that energy is huge. Let's go back uh, four years ago uh, or so uh, when you made the decision um, to hire Chris. I've I've heard it described as the easy decision for Gene Taylor. Well, I think it was the hard decision to hire a friend. Um, it's turned out pretty well, buddy, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you, you seem to have chosen pretty well. But uh, take us back to that. What? How difficult was that, or was it difficult to to pick someone you knew so well um, and ha- know that people would say, oh, he's just hiring his buddy from Fargo? Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. Um, and, and I knew, and for, for those reasons, I mean, I knew who Chris was, not only as a coach and as a person, um, but we had some really good candidates and it, and it really came down to a couple of, you know, candidates, uh, that we thought pretty highly of through the interview process. Then I knew I was going to get that reaction, right? I, I knew that, you know, oh boy, FCS, that's a big jump. He doesn't, you know, he's hiring his buddy. So it was difficult in that sense. And I knew he was going to have to come in here and have a pretty big, um, you know, shoes to fill generally, but then just the overcome that negative, uh, kind of that negative perception of me hiring my buddy. But I knew because of who he was and as a person and the way he coached and what I've seen him as a coach, seen out of him as a coach, that it was going to ultimately turn out pretty well. But, you know, I knew when I was going to announce that I was going to be blasted, um, which I did. And and fortunes worked out, but so yes, it was difficult in a sense, and but yet it was easy because I knew who Chris was. Well, it, it's interesting because now that I've gotten to know Chris, um, he's culturally he's just a perfect fit. I mean, it, you know, being an Iowa guy that coached all over the Midwest and including that one school down the road, uh, he just had a good feel for what the people were like, and I mean, he's just been a comfortable fit, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think that's a big thing, and that's what I was kind of looking for, not kind of, because, you know, there is a certain uniqueness, specialness about K-State, and we talk, we talk about it, you know, Bill talked about the people, and you had to, in uh, my opinion, I, I felt we had to have somebody that, you know, is not going to do exactly what Bill did, but fit culturally and, and make the changes necessary that a, a head coach might want to make, um, and I knew Chris had that kind of personality. I mean, he you know, he replaced a very popular, successful coach in Craig Bull at, at North Dakota State and made his own mark, so to speak. And, you know, I knew he'd come in and respect Coach Snyder at a high level, uh, yet still, you know, come in and put his own mark and do it in, in his way and do it, you know, gracefully. And then he's done that. Um, and, you know, now he, you know, has got his, you know, almost his full culture of players in the locker room. And, um, you know, that's, I think, what I hope will work out in the long run. But uh, I think fit is a huge deal, and people don't – some people don't pay much attention to that when they go and hire their next coach. And I thought it was really, really important here because of who he was replacing. Yeah, I agree. I And, you know, I've only really covered one school in my time, but I, I do feel like being the right type of person is so important to the fan base. You just got to be able to connect. And I think yeah. we've seen it not work in the past. I – I know long before you came here, there was a, a 
a hiring of a basketball coach, Tom Asbury, that, you know, they kind of won the lottery for getting the best candidate. They beat out Iowa State and they had to settle on Tim Floyd. Um, and it's funny how those things work out because culturally it wasn't a good fit at all. And, and uh, I think K-Staters learned a lesson from that. And it's really important here. You got to be, feel like you're part of the family and want to be part of the family, which I think your hires have done. And that's, that's a congratulations to you. Well, thank you. Um, Chris though has not been as different from Bill Snyder as I thought he would be. Now, I know that sounds weird because they, their styles are so different, but um, we're not getting much injury information. And um, <laughs> the practices, uh, we see little glimpses, but lots of stretching. <laughs> um, it, it is interesting, though, that even though they go about things differently, when you back up and look at how the program operates, with you know they've got their core values like his goals. They've got so many of the things just feel like the framework of K State football didn't change at all. Just kind of the outwardly appearances. Am I wrong in that? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I think you know Chris will share a little bit more at press conferences and about the team itself. I know he does, you know, on the catbacker tours, you know, Bill would sometimes go on catbacker tours and just talk about everything but football, you know, but yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know if it's just because that's how coaches are these days and, 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 you know, limited access from the media. Um, so yeah, there are definitely some similarities in, in terms of, you know, keeping things close to the vest, but I, I do think he's a little more open than, than coach Schneider was, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's just coaches anymore. They, yeah. and there's so much out there social media wise, and they want to protect whether it's a game plan or they're so afraid something's going to get out there. I, I, I get that in some cases. I mean, some cases I don't because half of us watch what they're doing out there and have no idea really what they're working on, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Um, and as it turns out, replacing the legend wasn't probably the toughest thing Chris Clemens had to face. There's just such a seismic shift in college athletics right now. And, oh, yeah, uh, Chris, year, year two, you're going to have a pandemic that will basically shut down the entire world. Um, and then um, let me tell you about the transfer portal. And I, I don't know if you know what the NIL is, but you're going to find out. I mean, it's incredible what coaches are having to navigate right now. Yeah, no question. I mean, so, you I mean, I, you know, I think about that. Obviously, that was number one is, oh, boy, I've got to come in here and replace a guy that, you know, greatest turnaround in college football in Bill Snyder with his name on the stadium and a statue and all those kind of things. And quickly it turned into, you know, a lot more than that. And it started with the pandemic, obviously, with the social injustice stuff. Um, and now you get the transfer portal. And so, not only do you have to make the adjustment, and there was an adjustment coming from FCS to, to here. Um, you know, yeah, it's still football, but there's just some things that you have to adjust to. And then then all of a sudden you're thrown into the, um, you know, the pandemic transfer portal, name image, like this that all coaches are dealing with. But all of that came boom, 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 boom for a, a new coach at this level. And I think he's handled it very well. Is there something else looming out there? I know there's a lot of discussion about athletic departments paying student athletes directly more than what they can now. I mean, it, it just continues to evolve. And 
while it's great for the student athletes, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, it's always great. It's like, you know, give a guy a million dollars and it might cause a mess. You know what I mean? It, it, well, I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what I think, I've, you know, we've talked about uh, as, as colleagues and ADs. I mean, you know, when you look at what the Big Ten just came out with yesterday on, on the amount of money that they're going to be paid for their TV rights, um, if we expand college football playoffs, which I think we will, and there's going to be more money there, you know, at what point does revenue sharing, you know, as much as I hate to say that, uh, become a discussion? And, you know, it's, you know, it's, there's things that, you know, there's a lot of things right now are out of coaches' control, you know. Um, and the other thing we talked about is, you know, professional athletes that get paid a lot of money don't do a very good job of managing that. And what about the kid who, um, coming out of high school, if, if some of these numbers are true, and apparently some are, you know, are they really going to be committed to work as hard as they need to work, you know, to be able to play? Uh, we know how many five-stars haven't panned out, yet some of these five-stars are getting significant NIL deals. That's what they're called, but they're not really. They're recruiting inducements um, and, and tampering and whatever else there is out there. Um are they going to manage it as an 18 year old kid? And I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, all of a sudden the kid goes, eh, coach, I'm not going to, uh, come to lift today. Well, okay. And he's living in a beautiful apartment because he can afford it and driving a fancy car. And, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's a lot to put on these young people that have never stepped foot in in a competitive arena. And they're going to be guys on that team. They're going to be going to try to take their job. And are they going to be able to manage it? And are they going to say, no, I'm going to transfer. And then what was that donor? What are they going to do? Or whoever help them with the money? I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that aren't good about it right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's going to blow up a lot of locker rooms and, yeah. and through the years I've discovered that the most cohesive locker rooms are often the, the better teams. You got to have some yeah. talent there, but you can overcome more talent if, if you're all pulling the same direction. And I think the NIL will absolutely blow up locker rooms. I think it's going to be a mess for some of these programs. I agree. Uh, but um, you you brought that up, that so much is changing in society and these kids have to navigate this. I, I don't know how the kids are doing it. I, I don't. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by all the social media, everything that goes on. Uh, you know me. I'm not shy about getting into it on social media. But still, it's just kind of a constant barrage um, of your senses, whether it's, you know, videos or interactions on Twitter. And, and now you've got people in your ear about money, man. I, I know it, it seems cliche, but I, I don't know if student athletes have ever had it more difficult than they have it right now, even though they might get paid. Uh, I'm with you. And then add one more level on that is gambling, legalized sports betting. Yeah. That's going to be people are going to be sitting in the stands on their phones, yep. making you know. Now I think our Kansas law does now allow for the prop bets or the, you know. But all of a sudden the kid, you know, makes a you know bad pass and the fans are booing him because it just cost them you know hundred <laughs> bucks. I mean, uh, that scares the heck out of me, you know. Um, or uh, so I don't know. I mean, you're right. I think just go back before NIL and before anything else. A lot of these athletes had pressures on them with the social media and the access to them that they never had before. Um, 
you know, used to they have to pick up a paper, read an editorial about themselves, and now they, you know, it's just constant barrage. And now you add in the NIL and and and, and kids making these kind of dollars. It's 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 hard, and um, yeah, I think they're facing stuff that athletes haven't faced in many many years. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Did the NCAA screw up how they handled the NIL by? kind of just uh, ignoring it and sitting in the corner and saying, well, we lost a court case. Have fun, guys, because yep. they, they didn't give any guidance. And now they're trying to backtrack and make sure people understand this can't be used for recruiting. Uh, man, the horses are out of the barn. The horses are go- long gone on that one. Yes, we. I will tell you that we had guardrails written and legislation ready to go. And the NSA and the NSA, when I say the NSA, the folks in, in Indianapolis and the lawyers said, if you do that, we're going to face antitrust. So you can't pass that legislation. If we would have passed it, we would have had things that would have at least kept it somewhat in a box better than it is today. And and now we're trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak. And it was written Many things, very clear language about recruiting inducement and tampering and and how the person was going to have to very clear language back in July, whenever it was. And we were ready to hit send and the lawyer said no. And now now we are where we are. Um, and, and as some folks said, we're going to face antitrust lawsuits anyway, so let's at least pass them and, you know, and deal with it when it comes. But um yeah, now I don't know how we get it back in. Uh, they sent out a letter yesterday. I don't know if you saw that about you know asking schools to participate in you know please give us information so we can find these bad actors. But um, yeah, we we we've not handled it uh, very well at all, unfortunately. Why would schools do that? I, you know, I I hate to be pessimistic about it, but um, basically there's no incentive other than doing the right thing to turn in your own booster that might be paying players. I, I If a school's prone to cheating, that ain't going to happen. They're not going to turn anyone in. It's it, Well, I think what they're hoping that is other schools will step <laughs> up and say, hey, this is what I heard at this school, and this is what I know. Our recruit that signed for us told us that they got offered this, and I think that's – but that's been, you know – I don't know. I, I don't. It seems like kind of a interesting letter to put out. But. Yeah, without any investigative resources, subpoenas, and that kind of thing. I, I mean, yeah. these these are now private contracts between individuals that you can argue the NCAA doesn't have any power to see. But I I don't know how they're going to handle it. I I just think uh, you know we're, we're facing a period, as you well know, that we're going to have to just reinvent the NCAA and and start over because. You can't just keep passing rules and then really not do anything. You know, no, don't apply the. Yeah. You're just rewarding the cheaters over and over that that get away with stuff because there's no sizable penalty. It's it's worth the yeah. risk. Yeah, and I agree. I think if these, well, you know, look at the Miami situation. Obviously, that guy is about as out there publicly mm-hmm. on some of the stuff he's done. And if they don't hammer Miami, then what you know? What's going to stop anybody else? Because he's very vocal. I mean, yeah. he said, "Come sue me. Come find out. You can't touch me," kind of thing. And so we'll see. Yeah. 
That's it's amazing how uh, when things happen, there's always the oddity that somehow involves Kansas State. There's always a Kansas State rule, and now with Nigel going to <laughs> Miami, we find ourselves right in the middle of this one too. It's it's absolutely uh, incredible <laughs> through the history of college athletics. How many things, uh, pregame dunking, uh, tip-ins not being shots, uh, you know, just on and on with the the K State rule with the the bowl situation when you go from third in the nation to the fourth or fifth best bowl in the conference. Those kind of things is just. So many K State rules, Gene. It's it's part of the culture here. That's funny. I guess I didn't realize some of that stuff. That's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the Daryl Winston one, where he tipped the ball in and was fouled in the NCAA tournament, but back then it wasn't a shot, so they waved off the basket. And no way. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. that's a that's one of them. And of course, poor Brian Rolletter dunked in the pregame and and yeah. got the tee, which was never ever done, but. It happened to Casey. It did. It does. It's just it's so difficult. It's part of the culture. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Well, let's shift gears now to the the elephant in the room, and that is that conference realignment. And you know, you brought up a little bit ago the the Big Ten contract. I I don't even I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't see how um, paying three hundred and fifty million dollars essentially for a game of the week in a, co- a college conference how that fi- financially works out for the entity. But that's great for the conference. Um, we'll see how it all pans out. It's only a seven-year contract, so um, at least the every, all the parties were recognizing that we're not in this too far, I guess. But a billion dollars a year, Gene, for for TV rights, and they might still have another step to go in that. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've been hearing that it was headed that direction, um, and. Apparently, obviously, still live TV is 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 very valuable, mm-hmm. um, and and it's not just you know the Big Ten. I mean, some of these other leagues have signed new deals, and um, you know, hopefully that bodes well for us uh, as a conference when we get a chance to you know begin our negotiations, whether it's just as the conference that we are, or that we you know if we if there's more expansion coming. Uh, you know, the Big Ten thing is written in a way that apparently they add more schools. You know, it doesn't detract from the ones they have. It just adds to it. So 
um, that says, I think sends a little bit of a message that they wrote that in there for a reason. Um, and, and whether the big 10 will continue to expand or not anytime soon, but at least they're thinking about that the way they wrote the agreement. Um, so yeah, I, I, will we get those kind of dollars? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but hopefully we can be at least somewhat competitive and get, you know, at least more than we're getting now. That's, that's, a, you know, that's commissioner Yormark's plan is to, you know, add value to, but those are big numbers. And I jokingly sent an email to or a text message to my friend Gary at Iowa yesterday and said, Hey, do you, can you give us a little bit of a loan for us four <laughs> folks here? He wrote back. He said, too late. You're far back in the line from everybody else, coaches, staff, university, faculty. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think those are some things that um, you, know, you get those kind of dollars. It's going to be really interesting um, how much that's going to have to be shared, maybe even across campus. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, we've seen over and over that uh, money doesn't make you superior in college athletics. <clears throat> we've got a perfect example in our own conference. Yeah. Um, but it's better to have the money than not. Still, it it, it brings up issues it just kind of bloats everything i i go back to um when we lost scotty hazelton to michigan state great football coach great hire by michigan state but they paid him a amount that we just fiscally are not going to do that at least at this point of in the evolution and the reality is is <clears throat> that it didn't make scotty a better coach it just meant that he's getting paid a lot more, and as far as I can tell, Michigan State's not a better football program than Kansas State. It, it happens over and over, and spending money does not improve things. You know, it's just just putting more money into something doesn't make it better. And and I, I think a lot of these athletic departments, bluntly, that these guys aren't business people, and and they overspend their budget by 10% no matter what they do. And and I do appreciate that you and John before you have been so fiscally responsible of staying inside of a budget, now not taking money from the university, which is remarkable, and even paying back some money to the university. I, it's incredible. K-State should be proud of what, how they operate their athletic department, and it's, congratulations to you. Well, thanks. And like I said, it, it started before me, obviously, and and you were very efficient. I say we do a lot more with less. Um, I think there's somewhat of a sense of pride there, but you know we're finding hard to you know keep staff because you know school X can pay them twenty, thirty thousand dollars more. Um, that worries me a little bit. Is some of these schools with this money will just build their staffs larger? And not talking coaching staffs. So I'm just talking marketing and media relations and ops folks and they're going to pay them more and then you know we're going to have to do everything we can to you know keep staff so that's why i said if if we get a new tv deal and it can um you know bring i don't know 15 20 more million dollars a year which is still a lot of money we can invest it back into our salaries mm -hmm. of our you know entry-level positions and keep staff here a little bit longer and then if you know, somebody does come knocking on Chris's door, Jerome's door, whoever, we can try to be a little competitive uh, with those extra dollars. And But we still have to be efficient. We still have to manage it the right way. And um, But, yeah, I, I worry that the Big Ten right now, you know, uh, and then hopefully, like I said, if we got a better TV deal and then we expand football, then 
we can stay competitive with the Big Ten, even though they're making a hundred million. You know what I mean? Um, but we we can't go backwards. That's for darn sure. Yeah, and yeah. that's Brett's that's Brett's goal, right? He he gets it, and um, but apparently live television content is apparently worth a lot of money to these networks. I yeah. mean, think about this: CBS only offered the SEC two hundred eighty million. And yet they're paying the Big Ten 350. They walked away from the SEC. Now, who the heck thought that was a good idea? Yeah, this is making sense. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe the the growth of the value is even catching the TV executives off guard. That it's yeah. this competitive when they see everyone enter the market. You know, they probably at the time they thought ESPN was overpaying, but then they get into the Big Ten negotiations and realize, no, we were underpaying this. Yeah. If we don't step up, we're going to lose out here. It's it's shocking to me, the numbers. But I'm a perfect example. I don't watch live TV except for sports and news. If yeah. something big's happening, I'll turn on the news live. Yeah. But even even if I'm watching a news program, um, I'm typically doing it off the DVR and skipping the ads. And But don't do that when you're watching live. And it is effective advertising. I know that. Yeah. Um, what is the timetable for the Big 12's media rights when they want to, when you guys want to start really flushing out the, where you're at with this or is it ongoing? Well, I, you know, I, I, Bob kind of tried to get them to go early, uh, but there was so many things going on that, you know, we had just uh, taken on those four teams and they were deep in the negotiation with the big 10. And then they basically said, no, thanks right now. Um, you know, obviously I think based on contract, then I don't know, well, you know, I'm not seeing the details, but I think we can start the, the only, unless they agree to go early, when I say they, Fox, ESPN, whoever, we can officially start negotiating in 2024. Um, you know, can they, now that the, you know, the Big Ten is settled, you know, are they willing to start that process earlier? I don't know. That's something for Brett to figure out. But uh, I think as we sat in meetings before all this, Bob used to talk about we would go to the table in 2024. Well, I think that's good. I, you know, as, as odd as that is, I, I think not being in that fire right now is probably good for the conference because the Pac-12s, you know, they've, they've gone through the trauma of losing schools, which we know all too well at, at this conference. And But they come out of that within – weeks and they're into a media negotiation at their weakest point uh, I, I i think they needed time to heal and they moved up their their schedule and i don't know if it was a good move i i'm yeah, just fascinated by how that conference is not quite as aligned as what we saw the big 12 a year ago yeah it may not be for them i don't know we'll see uh you know and it just kind of depends there, there are so many parts to the equation for us right now is how long do Texas and Oklahoma stay? And is that tied in to, you know, does ESPN want them to leave earlier for the SEC dollars? And did, would that help us with the negotiation with ESPN? And um, do they stay all the way through 20, you know, 23, 24, 24, 25? And, 
I mean, I think, and then what's going to, is the Big Ten going to expand anymore or any of the Pac-12 schools going to get nervous? And there's so many layers right now. I think it's just, uh, it's a big chess game. And, you know, Brett's got to kind of lead us through that. and We'll see what happens. It's kind of fun not being at the, the center of that chess game for once. Yeah, no, <laughs> no question. I mean, I... I think we're we're as solid as we have been in a while, and um, I, I and I hope that stays hope that stays that way um, for sure. I, I've explained to people that um, you know I think the outsiders, particularly, I'm seeing it from certain media elements that cover the Pac-12, see what the Big 12's lost over the years and sees it as a, an overall sign of weakness of the conference. I, I look at it more like. Um, You've gone through two waves of trauma, and you've healed both times. Um, right. And and because of that, you're stronger. You have a better understanding of who you are. I feel like this conference somehow, uh, even though now it's going to be down half of its original members, has a better sense of identity than ever. That 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 underdog spirit we just talked about with K State kind of runs through this entire conference at this point, where we don't back down because you're. TV contracts bigger, or maybe your market share is bigger, or your brand is bigger. That's that's not what schools like. You know, I talk about the the spinal column of the Big Twelve: Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. That that agricultural engineering spirit that you just forge forward and get it done. And I, I think the Big Twelve is really salty right now. Uh-huh. I would agree with that. And I sat in some meetings and listened to some ADs and they are salty right now. Um, and, and they're, you know, very proud of the fact that we have been able to stick together and we've got a little bit of a chip on our shoulder and say, you know what? Um, you know, last year, Baylor and Oklahoma state played the championship game and it was one of the most watched championship games uh, of last year. And, and we've got some really good teams in this league, uh, uh, even though, two of our brethren are leaving and it's not, not not always either one of those. So I think there's a source of pride. I think there's a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. And like you said, I think it's just this who we are as an institution or institutions that, you know, say, you know what the heck with you guys, we're going to go out and still be good and be competitive. And, and we have a lot to, a lot to prove. And, and I think in listening to the conversations, Brett's buying into that and, and pumping us up because of it too. Look, I, I recognize the importance of brand identity, and and as I've mentioned so many times, so many of these foot, college football brands were set, you know, coming out of World War II, and right. you know they've just been ingrained in us. <clears throat> I mean, we're roughly the same age, and you know we grew up watching USC, UCLA, and you know Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Auburn, Alabama, and. Ohio State, Michigan, yeah, the, that those games were always on, and and that's what we watched, and there wasn't as much college football, and so I recognize the value of brands, uh, but also I think it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, if you put a program on, you know, the main Fox or CBS or NBC or ABC, over and over, while other schools are playing on ESPN two, well, of course they're going to get better ratings. I mean, I mean, there's just no, there's no doubt about it. They're going to, if they're on a bigger platform, they're going to get better ratings. And I felt like the big 12 championship game showed, Hey, you take these two leftovers is, you know, how some people view what's left in the big 12. You put them on the stage, you put them on the network and you play 
exciting football. Look, people watch. Yeah. People want to watch good football. They don't want to watch the brands as much as good football. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and you know, when was the last time UCLA or USC played in the national championship game? And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, they're, they get pretty uniforms. and <laughs> But you're right. I, I think that's how they, they got built was because we're growing up. You had three channels and one carried, maybe two carried college football. And you always watch the same team over and over. Um, and that's not the case anymore. Um, and, and teams have been successful. Now, obviously the SEC based on, you know, who's made it to the championship game, but you know, you get it. that's why I think expanding will be huge. Um, because it, it won't ever be, I should never say never, but I mean, it's not going to be like the college basketball, but you put 16 or 12, whatever that number is going to be that it expands to, it's a little different ball game. Uh, and ultimately, the cream will rise to the, the top. But but there's going to be some really good teams, and there's really good games, and somebody's going to beat somebody that you wouldn't see coming. And and the good news is, and I've talked a little bit about this now that I've had you know one year under my belt on the CFP selection committee. You know, you get towards the end, and you're really only talking four, five, six teams. Not four, some probably six teams. The last couple of weeks, that's all anybody's focused on. If you go to 12, you're talking 20, 25 teams that have a chance to make that 12 mm-hmm. team field. And that brings a lot of excitement to a lot of fan bases. And that's just going to do nothing but help college football. Oh, I agree. That'll be incredible. And, and just the fact that, you know, you make the field of 12, um, you know, in the past you might've played in a good bowl game, but mm-hmm. it's now become about those four schools who makes it and everyone else is everyone else. Um, and if you expand it to 12, a lot of, a lot of people will have good feelings about their football program that might've felt disappointed. They didn't make the four. If that makes yeah. sense. <clears throat> um, th- there seems to be this vision right now between the warring media entities that, you know, the big 10 sec is going to be the AFC NFC. Is that just a complete miscalculation of, college sports i mean i yeah i, I just feel like you, no matter what is going on in the sec k-state fans are going to watch k-state and oklahoma state and the teams that are in their league in their universe yeah and i mean I, and and you know i don't think we're going to be the two conference you know 30 teams in each conference i or whatever the number is i just don't see that happening um you know you may have you know, you may have four, uh, uh, who knows, but if the PAC 12 stays strong and even if they lose a couple, then they pick up a couple like we did. Um, I think there is value in, in some diversity and some regionality and, and regional, you know, uh, rivalries. And, and then think about this is how do you really, if you have a 16 to 18, 20 team, conference and how do you really determine who's your best two teams out of that? Cause you're not going to ever play everybody, you know? Um, I mean, obviously the big tens have been at 14. Now they're going to be at 16 and you know, they'll figure it out. They're not going to go to divisional play apparently. And you know, that's something obviously we're talking about in the big 12, but um, I think you lose a little bit by that, but um, 
I still think you're going to have, I don't think you're going to have two conferences and 35 teams in each conference or whatever the number is. I really don't. Well, I, I think 16 is the most you can really go and be quote a conference. I mean, yeah. uh, using scheduling pods, you can play everyone home and away every six years in a six year window and, and still be in touch with everyone in your conference. Although the sec managed to really screw that up with how they scheduled in, in their situation. But um, you go to 20, look, you're, you're two 10 team conferences or, you know, if you're 24, maybe you're three, eight team conferences. You're just not going to play everyone um, every 10 years. And it's, that's not a conference to me, Gene. That's just a, that's a scheduling collective. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't yeah. get why you want to go into 20 or 24 or even higher. It just doesn't make sense to me. There's no purpose of it. Yeah, well, it's money, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's money driven, and and um, you know that's that. Ultimately, that's what it is. I mean, I think the UCLA AD said it when they, you know, agreed to join the Big Ten. They're a hundred million dollars in debt, and they need to pay the bills. And I'm like, well, um, you're going to send your kids to Rutgers and back. Uh, good luck with that. But man, we're kind of, you know, got to be careful because we got BYU to. Since yeah. the Florida, so um, you know, but yeah, it's just it's just kind of where we're heading right now. Should this conference go to sixteen? The big you know, I don't know. We, we have to. I, I think if if we can add the right number, whether it's two or four, and it enhances our TV package because of you know, the, the regionality of it or the, or the markets, then yeah, I think we do. But, uh, you know, if it, if all it does is split the pie that we currently have 16 ways instead of 12 ways, no, yeah. uh, that, that doesn't make any that's, I think Brett talked about that at the media days is value added and we're not going to detract. We're going to add. So it has to make sense. Uh, and, and it has to, you know, I would say regionally that doesn't matter anymore because we're already in a couple of three time zones. But I, I do think it it only we should do it only if it adds value and allows our TV partners to say, okay, yeah, you guys are worth X much more than you were before. Then 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 we should do it. Yeah, I I can't believe how we've seen conferences blow up and there there was regional sense to everything and now it just is nonsense. But yeah. is, is there something um, I don't I don't know what the word I want to use here is empowering if the Big 12 ends up having schools in all four time zones and being able to fill all four windows on a Saturday afternoon, morning, evening, you know, for for media entities. It, it seems to me that would be an advantage this conference could exercise over others. Well, I think that's what I I mean, I don't know that. Um I don't, you know, I don't talk to TV execs, but as I read some of these articles and some of the stuff that's written about the, you know, the Big Ten and why they took the UCLA USC thing is there is a little bit of that is that, you know, TV partners want to be able to fill all time zones or all, you know, time slots and still be able to get a, you know, good game, you know, on that, you know, the nights that I I'm done here and I'm sitting at home watching you know, Mountain West or Pac-12 game having a cold beer, um, they want that. They want that live content until from 11 in the morning until, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And I guess that's important to them. It's important to their advertisers is how I read some of these articles. 
Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I think the average fan didn't really think in these terms, but now with all this stuff out there about media rights, they're beginning to realize um, how the media entities are thinking. It's yeah. just a little bit scary yeah. in itself. Um, well, Gene, I appreciate it so much. Um, by the way, I, I, this is probably um, the hardest-hitting question I've asked you. When you pop that cold beer at home, what brand is it typically for Gene Taylor? <laughs> I think everybody knows the answer to this, but uh, it's, it's Bud Light. Uh, that's, that's been my stable for a while. I used to be something else, but uh, they started delivering Budweiser products to my house when I lived in Fargo, so I quickly became a <laughs> Bud Light guy. And uh, I don't quite get that delivery service here, but uh, but I still I'm still that's that's my cold beverage of, of choice. Oh my! I, I would, I, I, based on the culture, I I think it would have been another Bud product that I might have picked for you, but um, it's, well, the Bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, I I learned that there are some farmers that don't like uh, Bud Light, particularly because they don't use corn. I think, I think that's the I heard that the other day for the first time. I'm like, ah, huh. but there's we do have Bush in my house too. Bush Light in my house too. Yeah. Well, being multicultural, I'm a Mexican beer guy. Um, okay, there I'm, you go. I'm kind of, you know, the Carlos O'Kelly's, the Irish yeah. Mexican. So I, I make a mean margarita, too, is mm. what I've been told. So mm. Nobody wants me drinking tequila. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> Gene, I appreciate it. You got a lot on your plate, and, and uh, it was good catching up, and I will, uh, I'm heading out to uh, catch the end of a practice and do some interviews, and um, I do appreciate that about Chris. Lots yeah. of access here in the in fall camp, and I know the fans love it. All right, man. Talk to you later. Okay, See you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I honestly don't know how much you learned from that podcast, but I think you got a good feel for what an enjoyable guy Gene is. He's one of those guys that has to put on the, the face of leadership, but he'd rather kind of just sit around and have a beer with you and talk about sports. Gene Taylor's a, a really good man, and Kansas State is lucky to have him. Well, that's it for the third season of Life of Fitz. This one was kind of short this year, but I tell you what, we're going to continue doing these into the future because I really love having these conversations. And I also love the ability to remind men, if you're 45 and over, go to the doctor and get your PSA scored. It saved my life. The prostate-specific antigen score is the most reliable test for early indication of prostate health problems, including prostate cancer. Guys, don't mess around. We've lost so many men way before they should go because they did not go to the doctor. Take care, everyone. Make sure you go check out everything we're doing at GoPowerCat.com because this, with Gene Taylor in charge, is going to be a fun K-State sports season. I'll talk to you again real soon. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. <laughs> 
You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount+. Plus.